You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. We highlight the stories of native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor. And on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity to chop it up with someone that I consider to be a longtime supporter of the podcast. Joining us this week was the one and only Nicole M. Young who spoke about many different things, including her lived experience growing up in Detroit, her relocation to the East Coast, particular the New England area, and what it means to be a content creator and just a creative in general. Nicole is a graduate of the University of Michigan, where she completed her bachelor's in theater arts, She is also a graduate of Wayne State University, Go Warriors, where she completed her graduate degree in theater management. And lastly, she is a graduate of the University of Massachusetts Amherst, where she completed her graduate degree in English. This episode had so much knowledge, so much wisdom, It was such an honor to connect with Nicole on a variety of topics. Again, her relocation to the New England area, her lived experience at the University of Michigan during a historic time. In fact, I hope that you all pay very close attention to what she had to share. And also just some of the things that she's working on. She is doing some amazing work in the nonprofit arena. She speaks about this a great deal and the importance of identifying leadership roles and opportunities for such organizations. So I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed conversing with Nicole. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. So without any further delay, why don't we tune into the discussion that I had with the one and only Nicole M. Young. All right, this is Detroit Worldwide. And joining us today is someone that I consider to be a friend of the podcast, a supporter of the podcast. Joining us on the podcast today is a content creator, a playwright, an artist, but most of all, a Detroit native. Who we have on the podcast today is the one and only Nicole Young. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited to finally be interviewed. Thank you, Marquise, for having me on your podcast. Hey, no worries. Thank you for all of the support that you've given the podcast since its inception. I appreciate you. The people who listen or have been interviewed on here appreciate you. And I can't thank you enough. Thank you for coming on here. Yes, and thank you for having me. For sure, for sure. So Nicole is someone that has supported the podcast, again, since its inception. Uh, One of my really good friends, Dr. Markeisha Davis, who was also a good friend of Nicole's as well, suggested that we reach out to Nicole and 
getting her on here for her to have the platform and for her to share her story and not only that for her just to share her wisdom as well so all of that being said i was wondering if you can tell our listeners just more about you and the work that you're currently doing sure so i have been based in western massachusetts for a little over 12 years not boston i'm exactly two and a half hours west of boston Every time I mention I'm in Massachusetts, that's the first thing people reference. And I moved out here right after I finished grad school at Wayne State. And I have worked a myriad of jobs, including 10 years working in higher education at UMass Amherst. And then also this past year and a half for a nonprofit, I work for the United Way of Pioneer Valley. I run their grants programs. On top of that, I am also a working artist. I am a performance poet. I do playwriting. I occasionally teach creative writing and theater at universities as an adjunct professor. And I also teach a series of writing workshops. So if anyone's interested, they can hire me to do writing workshops. I've done both virtual and in-person workshops. For sure, for sure. And Nicole is doing some amazing things. I forgot to share with you before we did this interview, but I took a second to look at some of your work on YouTube, went to your YouTube channel and saw that you had recorded a sonnet based on Detroit and your experience growing up in Detroit. And which would probably be a segue to my next question, but we are going to make history in the sense that you were the first person that's going to be represented from your high school on this podcast. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on here. If you can talk about your experience growing up in Detroit, what was that like for you? Oh, wow. So I am a proud graduate of McKenzie High School. Very proud, very proud, <laughs> very, very proud. And by the way, I have to say, given that you've interviewed a lot of people from Cass Tech, I actually started off at Cass Tech. I left Cass Tech in the middle of 10th grade, but I ended up graduating from McKenzie. So growing up in Detroit, one of the things that I really love and miss about living in Detroit is just how pro-Black it is. Mm. I went to all Detroit public schools, with the exception of a couple of months at a Catholic school. And even the white teachers that I had were very informative about making sure that I knew prominent African-Americans in history and knew what it meant to be Black and proud. I never had to question my identity living in Detroit. I never had to, until I moved to white Western Mass, I never... <laughs> I, you know, I always saw Black people of many different backgrounds from upper middle class to some of the most educated and things like that. And so being proud of my race and ethnicity has been something that I grew to cherish from Detroit. And especially now being out of Detroit for as long as I have, and also working with people who have worked with students in other school systems, ironically, in a lot of urban settings with predominant youth of color, they're not exposed to some of the same pro-youness that I had growing up in Detroit. And so that's one thing that I always tell people when they ask me, what was it like growing up in Detroit? I'm always like, I was always affirmed in who I am. And also on top of it, 
I'm also a very quirky black person too. I am also a trained classical musician. I'm a writer. I'm a huge nerd. I'm into sci-fi and comic books. <laughs> I've always been embraced for my individuality. And so, and also with Detroit, one of the things that I love about it is just the hustle. Everyone, everyone that I know from like the people selling bootlegs on the corner to people trying to start their own businesses, everybody is trying to hustle. And they're not only trying to survive, they're trying to thrive. On top of it, they're trying to live their best lives. So I think to sum it up, to be from Detroit and to be of Detroit is to be very proud of who I am. I can dig that response and so many people who have come on this podcast have given a similar response in the sense that they grew up a firm, they grew up knowing about black excellence and that being embedded into them and who they are as people. Now, McKenzie High School, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that is on the west side of the city, correct? It was on the west side of the city. It was on Wyoming and I'm missing the cross street, like Wyoming and Joy Road-ish. McKenzie closed in, I think, the late 2000s, early 2010s. And they tore down the building, which is sad because there were a lot of really cool mosaics in the building, a lot of history, and like an architectural gem. They tore it down and they built another building in its place. And I think it's named McKenzie as well, but I think it's now like an elementary middle school. It's no longer a high school. Okay. Well, yeah, I do know the area. I'm on the west side of uh, the trader as well. And if I'm also not mistaken, Pittsburgh Steelers legend Jerome Bettis went there, Yes, correct? he is an alum. Okay, okay. That's what I knew about McKenzie. What's the name of the mascot again? The Stags. Okay, okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's, com- <laughs> it's coming back to me. It's coming back to me. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Now, on another question, because I, I did not notice about you, maybe I overlooked this. You mentioned that you were a sci-fi comic head. Who are some of your favorite characters in the comic book universe? So I am more into the movies. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One of the reasons why I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this is why it's hard for me to say I'm a comic book head because I haven't read a comic book, but I know the stories. Okay. Is, <laughs> yes. Is, but I think it's the best way to sum it up, is Marvel has some of the best storytelling out there. A lot of it is very Shakespearean with regards to the hero's journey. And I also love, I love, 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 love how complicated they make their villains. But I don't necessarily have a particular favorite character. I have a particular favorite storyline. And my favorite storyline, even though Black Panther was the jam, I love the Guardians of the Galaxy storyline with regards to like the like the complex of family with Gamora and home dude whose name I'm forgetting right now who is just slayed in Endgame. Sorry, I'm ruining the movie for people who may not have seen it yet. <laughs> but I I am huge into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Actually, Markeisha and I we went to go see Endgame together, and everyone else is crying throughout the whole movie, but her and I we don't start crying until the credits when they do the montage of the original Avengers. And her and I were crying because we were like, yo, this is the end. <laughs> when, like, because we always counted down to going to see the Avengers movies together. So we're like, what tradition are we going to have now? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's dope. That's dope. Yeah. And I just figured I'd ask you because I am a comic book head and a lot of the movies that are inspired by the superheroes, it's always good to see them live and in action. Just somebody who's read and embraced comics for so long. It's just super dope to see. And DC has some catching up to do. That's another yeah. conversation. For That's that. a whole other conversation. <laughs> They definitely have some catching up to do, but yeah, we talk. We can talk all day about that. Now, knowing that you are a writer and a creative, and also an artist itself, how did growing up in Detroit influence this creative side? Ah, hilarious that you asked that. So, I actually didn't start writing officially until I moved to Western Massachusetts, but I've always been an artist. I actually started as a musician. I was in the church choir growing up, starting at six years old until I was around like 14. I started playing a musical instrument at eight. I actually started playing the trumpet. I played the trumpet for maybe like a couple of weeks in, in elementary school band. And I was like, I don't know if this is the right fit. So I ended up playing clarinet. So I played clarinet from like around eight years old till 22. Mm. I, was at, I started off as a music major in college and I ended up dropping the instrument for a while due to a lot of like, competition and a lot of racism that I faced in the music realm. I like I literally and and I have degrees in theater now, but I lived as an arts administrator from like maybe early 20s until just recently a couple of years ago where I always supported the arts. Like I was the stage manager. I did publicity for theater and music. I was a personnel manager for orchestras and things like that. I coordinated tours. I produced shows and stuff like that for the longest time. And then I just came back to the arts, maybe like as an artist in 2007, when I moved here to Western Mass. So the writer actually was not born until I moved to Western Mass. I knew absolutely no one, even though Marquise and I, we have the Detroit connection and the Wayne State connection, and we both moved to Western Mass at the same time. We didn't connect until a year after we both moved here. And how I got involved in writing, a dear friend and mentor of mine suggested that I join this women of color performance troupe that wrote their own pieces. And in that, the creative writer was born and people would say, wow, like you're, cause we did performance poetry. They were like, your monologues and your poetry is really, really cool. Have you thought about, you know, taking to the next step and going into playwriting? So the same mentor that recommended me join this group, she's a professor in theater at UMass. And I was a student there at the time. She was like, have you, you know, really thought about playwriting? So she recommended that I enter in this playwriting festival which led to the award that I received in 2009. And then from there, I took on like writing like more poetry. I haven't done that much playwriting. I am in the process of dallying between finishing my first full length and finishing two shorter plays. So the writer wasn't born until like mid, like late 20s, early 30s because I moved here and I needed that respite of how do I, you know, meet new people and make connections and things like that. And also I took on journaling privately and a lot of the journaling that I've done has turned into a lot of the writing that many people hear today. Okay, okay. 
that's good to know. See, I, I was curious to know if uh, Detroit had any influence on that, but it's good to know that you were able to find community in your current state. And we're actually going to get to your award in a little bit because I'm curious to learn more about that as well. Now, going off of that, I know that you graduated from McKinsey High School and you went on to attend the University of Michigan. Yeah. How did growing up in the city influence you to pursue education after high school? So I'm first generation college with my parents, but with my family, like my cousins have gone to college, aunts and uncles have gone to college and things like that. It has always been ingrained in me that I was not only going to go to college, but I was going to go to a really good school. and. I did not want to go to Michigan. I'm not going to lie. I didn't want to go because I was like, I went up, I remember going on a college tour and I was like, this campus is super lily white and <laughs> it was way too big. And I set my soul on going to Wayne State undergrad because I have family members that went to Wayne State. There was a lot that I liked about it. And I liked that I would have been around a lot of people that I grew up with. And it took literally to get me to go to Michigan, it took. You know that whole, it takes a village to raise a child? Mm -hmm. From my guidance counselor to other people that got into Michigan, to my parents, to other teachers, they all found out that I got into Michigan before I did. And it was like tag team. They were all like, we know Nicole, and she's going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> and they, I remember they all tag team to say to me, you really need to go to Michigan. And I'm actually glad that I went to Michigan, even though University of Michigan was extremely hard for me for a lot of reasons, I'm really glad that I went because it was one of the first times that I had an opportunity to really engage with people from very different backgrounds. Yes, I went to Interlochen Arts Camp when I was in high school. Yes, I went to all these different things, but they were like on a shorter span, like six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. But going to the University of Michigan, you are pushed and forced to engage with people that you may not have had the chance otherwise and people and types of situations that you will deal with in a real life setting. And so I was blessed to go to Michigan at the time that I did, even though it was a very rough time. So I actually attended the University of Michigan at around the same time as Dominique Moiso, who was interviewed a couple of weeks ago. She's a year older than me. So we went to the University of Michigan late 90s, early 2000s, around the time when they were looking to eliminate, the start to eliminate affirmative action as being something that would assist, and I say this with dangerous air quotes, assist students in getting into the college. Mm. And to be, and also I was living in Ann Arbor at the time of 9-11. <laughs> So I already graduated, but I was working on campus at the time. So to be on a campus when it was probably one of the most tumultuous times as someone who was African-American, as someone who was African-American and proud of their identity was very tough. It was very, very tough. One other thing I wanted to insert is, is that I am really, really glad that I went there during that time because it, re it really reinforced what it meant to grow up in Detroit and to grow up pro-Black and then to be pushed in a situation where not only do you have your identity challenged, you being their challenge. Like so many people were like, 
oh, you didn't get in based on merit. Not only didn't you get it based in on merit because you're black, you're from Detroit, and you graduated from McKenzie. And I'm like, I don't have nothing to prove to you. Not only did I go to Michigan at that time, not only did I get into Michigan and go to Michigan, I graduated from Michigan in about a four-year period. So I'm like, you have, you can't challenge me because <laughs> I got in, I did my work, and I finished. So... It's so much to unpack there, and I uh, appreciate the response. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking back to around this time, uh, probably in middle school or high school, but I do remember like picking up the Detroit News, the Free Press, or even the Michigan Chronicle, and hearing about these things. And then, of course, when I got to college in the early 2000s, I think some of those things were either still going on or they were just dwindling down but to hear you live through this and to hear you kind of persevere speaks volumes to the tenacity that is embedded into us as black Detroiters and this is a history lesson I mean I hope the listeners really pay close attention to what Nicole said because this is a history lesson and yeah so much to unpack there now, keeping on with Michigan, I know that you mentioned you had a, a circle. You, of course, you had your major. I am curious to know what did community and support look like for you on that campus as a first-generation college student? That's a really good question. So I was fortunate to have at the time, I think the program has since shifted. I actually came into the University of Michigan as a summer bridge student through the Comprehensive Studies program, something that I'm very, very proud of. CSP. Yeah, I think they just celebrated their 40th anniversary recently. So with the Summer Bridge program at the time, I think it has since shifted. But at the time when I was a student, it was one of those, it, it was like a gateway to college. It was like, let us give you the tools to thrive. So the typical orientation session that students would get before they come into school where it's like a couple of days during a weekend, we got it for a whole summer from like how to use the library to study skills to also being able to take some of our prereqs for majors early on. So like I was able to take one of my math requirements that summer in a very small setting. I was able to take one of my first year writing courses in a very small setting. So it was essentially, it was making sure that we had the tools to get through college. Also like we, um, I think a computer skills class, because this was one of the first times that I was using a computer and history lesson for people. I went to college in 97. So the World Wide Web was just introduced maybe a couple <laughs> of years before I started school. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. everything was based in Ethernet cable and AOL. Yeah, dial up. <laughs> <laughs> and mm -hmm. using Pine. So Pine was the language that campus used to do things on the computer. Because I remember like the computer screen back then, I'm not I'm not that old, but this is old looked very different like it was green with the letters and on top you had to learn different codes mm -hmm. to be able to log into the computer and to be able to get work done so this is what the summer looked like for me so that was one of the tools i was given i was also fortunate that there were little communities even though the university of michigan is large there were little communities that i had a chance to be a part of i actually was a member of the Michigan Marching Band. That helped me so much with regards to building community and having people to lean on during a very tough time. 
because when you're in band or you're an athlete, you are put into a bubble. You are put into a safety bubble. You don't know what else is going on on campus during the fall because you're in class, then you go to practice for a couple of hours, and then your Saturday is gone. And then before that, you have a couple of weeks of practice before the semester starts. So that was a community that was built for me. CSP built a community for me. Also, I was a member of the Lloyd Hall Scholars Program my freshman year, which was a live-in learning community. I don't know what they, they call them now, but it's essentially you live on the floor with people that you took courses with. So I took a writing class with all the people that were on my floor. We also had to do a community service project too as a part of being in the Lloyd Hall Scholars Program. So these little pockets, they introduced me to a lot of different people. One of the things I can say, and I recommend this to anyone that goes to a very large campus, find your communities as soon as possible because unfortunately there are people that I started off in Michigan with who did not finish because they got lost in the 40,000 plus students and they didn't have those communities of people to lean on. I'm also fortunate to say I'm still friends, not as close because we've moved around the country and things have changed from like jobs to families and things like that, but I'm still connected with a lot of people that I met through band and through the Lloyd Hall Scholars Program. That's so dope to hear. And a previous guest has spoken about what CSP meant to them before and just the nature of that program and the support that that program provides students is amazing. And it's good to hear that benefited you as well. Now, I want to go back to something you said earlier, and it's like a super random question. I know you mentioned AOL. Um, I'm also (laughs) AOL OG as well. So if you don't mind me asking, what was your screen name? (laughs) I don't remember. I wish I did because I had AOL Instant Messenger for a long, I had it for like up until maybe like the mid 2000s. I even had it in grad school. I don't remember it. I wish, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to, I will find it because I'm, I'm, I can't remember. But, but I always did like some iteration of my name. I always did either like Coco or NM Young or something. It was always something around, around what my name is. And for those who don't know, AOL stands for America Online. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's I remember getting the disc in the mail and you know the five hundred free yep. hours and you. <laughs> yes. Oh, and then nobody else could be on the phone for you to be online because you were using the same the same line and. Mm-hmm. Oh, technology has grown a lot. It really has. It really has. Now, transitioning out of the University of Michigan, you earn your degree. Is it theater and performing arts? Could please correct me if I'm wrong. What is the name of your degree? Sure. So I was in a specialized program. It's the Bachelor of Theater Arts. I'm actually, I think I may have been in one of the first graduating classes of that degree program. But what's really cool about the Bachelor of Theater Arts program, it was they took, so like, the Bachelor of Arts in Theater, which is more, let's get you your liberal arts requirements and all of that stuff. And then the Bachelor of Fine Arts in Theater, which is like the conservatory type training for people who are interested in becoming performers and things like that. The Bachelor of Theater Arts marries those two programs. So we had a chance 
to, unlike with the BA in theater, with the BTA, we got to take up a specialization. And my okay. specialization was in arts administration. So I had a chance to take classes in arts administration. I also took classes in directing and acting, scene design, and things like that. So my undergrad degree is Bachelor of Theater Arts. One of my grad degrees, my grad degree from Wayne State, I have a Master of Fine Arts in Theater Management, which is essentially, it's a terminal degree in that field. So that means that there's no degree higher offered in theater management besides an MFA. And with the MFA, it's like 60 credits and you do a mix of courses in like, I did courses in business, I did courses in nonprofit management, and I did courses in like fundraising for the arts and marketing and audience development for the arts and things like that. And then I have another master's degree that's not in the performing arts. Okay. So with your first degree, when you completed that at the University of Michigan, tell us a little bit about the next stages in your life and, you know, what happened after that? Yeah, so I was set, like, I think probably my junior year, I was set on pursuing a career in arts administration. And with that, you typically have to get a graduate degree, either an MA or an MFA in arts management. And before you do that, you have to have a certain amount of years of work experience. So one of the first things that I did, well, after I graduated from the University of Michigan, I stayed in Ann Arbor for an additional year because I love I loved living in Ann Arbor. So during that year, I had a full-time job in another industry, but I was doing part-time work as a stage manager. I did a little bit of acting and I still was a musician at that time. So the year, so that year, after that year, kind of like the gap year, what people would call it, I ended up moving east. So this was my first time living east. I lived in Albany, New York, and I interned for a professional theater company in their education department for about nine months to get some of that experience that I needed to apply for graduate school. Then I ended up moving back to Detroit and I started some coursework at Wayne State to kind of pull my grades up from undergrad so that I could have a really good and strong application to get into the program at Wayne State. And then I started the grad program there in 2004. Also along the way between 2001 to 2004, I did a lot of freelancing in the arts from, I produced the theater festival in 2001 in Ann Arbor to I worked for the Ann Arbor Summer Festival. I did all kinds of stuff to beef up my application to get into the theater management program at Wayne State during that transitional time. Okay. So then doing all of those things, living in Ann Arbor, moving back to Detroit, going to Wayne State, earning your degree there. When did you make your transition to the East Coast? I know you said you were in Albany, but then when did yes. you make your transition to the Far East Coast? <laughs> I made my transition to the Far East Coast in August 20th, 2007. I literally took a train. I had, at the time, two suitcases, and I got on the Amtrak, and it was a 20-hour trip moving oh. here for my very first job at UMass. I worked for New World Theater, which has since closed. That was my very first job out of graduate school. Wow. So I know you spoke earlier about you building community and all of the successes that you had. So what were your initial thoughts when you arrived to UMass and just that side of the country? <laughs> so I interviewed out here in July, late June, early July. And one of the things, and that was my first time ever coming this far east, I was told was, Oh, Amherst, Western Mass is exactly like Ann Arbor. You're going to love it out here. 
I came out here. It is so not like Ann Arbor. One of the things that makes it not like Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor is a city. There's like over 200,000 people in that city. And Amherst, which is where University of Massachusetts Amherst is, which is the flagship of the UMass system, is based out legit in the boonies. You will step outside of your house or your car and smell cows, like just cow everything. And we are in what would be considered rural suburban. So like the USDA has a location out here. There's all kinds of farms and things like that. So like with Ann Arbor, there was like a nightlife and coffee shops and all these things to do. You move out here, it's like things close at eight, nine o'clock. And there's not a lot to do except for go to coffee shops and sit there and write and kind of talk to people. There's like an art scene here and things like that, but things are so spread out to where you really need a car to get around. And I didn't have my first car until last year. So my, my world was really, really small. Also out here, even though it's like a college town, you have five colleges here, Hampshire College, Amherst College, Smith, Mount Holyoke, UMass, and then further down in the south of the state, you have Springfield College. Like, there's a ton of colleges and universities in this part of the state. It is so white out here. I've never <laughs> lived someplace where it was super duper white. And what was a huge slap in the face, because you, you get the sense of Massachusetts nationally because like same-sex marriage was first legalized here and like the use of marijuana was legalized here and all this stuff. So you would think it would be very progressive. It's progressive in certain ways, but there's still a lot of major racism and classism that happens in this area. I was called the N-word for the very first time in my life oh living my in goodness. this area. Yes. So <laughs> the racism here is very prevalent and I was very shocked that the racism here was that huge. The thing that I can say in terms of building community, because of the racism and classism that exist out here, the communities of color that are based here, we all know each other, we all get along, we support each other like family. And that is something that I've rarely seen any place else that I've lived where everyone knows what's going on, we all check in with one another and things like that. I also think it helps that there are many expat Detroiters actually in Western Mass, ironically, because of the universities that are out here. Like, for example, like with Dr. Marquisha Davis coming to graduate school here, because one of the top programs in her field is based here in Western Mass. Many other people do the same. Like we have one of the top social justice education programs in the country based at UMass. We have one of the strongest sociology programs. So there are a lot of former Detroiters that live in Western Mass. So that's also helped build community as well. Wow, that's interesting. I, I, I would not have made that connection between Western Mass and Detroit other than right. both <laughs> yourself and Dr. Davis and a mayor may not know one other person out there, but it's interesting to hear because I know being in these places that people would consider to be remote and you do have to navigate spaces you do have to navigate and find community and your example when you were called the n-word i can imagine that probably wasn't the easiest thing in the world to deal with and i would probably would have left in that instance but you're still there you've been able to create community you've been able to do your thing for the most part now i do want to get back to 
your work as a playwright and as a yeah. creative and as, as an artist. So earlier in this discussion, you had mentioned that you were given an award. Yes. Talk about that award and what that award means to you. Yes. So through the five colleges multicultural theater program, so there's five colleges within this region and UMass is a part of that consortium. Each year they do what's called the Word Festival, where students within those five colleges can enter to receive a cash prize and a stage reading of their play. What's really cool about the Word Festival, because as an artist, I'm all about the developmental process, not just the finished product, and also having people support you along the way, is with the Word Festival, you are paired with a faculty member from your school who acts as your dramaturg or script advisor in terms of giving you feedback on your work. And with this program, I was able to work with my mentor, who's the professor at UMass, and then also a world-renowned playwright who was here at the time working. And they were my dramaturgs, my script advisors. And what happens is whichever plays are chosen to do the stage reading as a part of the Word Festival, receives a cash prize and the cash prize is associated with the James Baldwin Memorial Playwriting Fund. So mm. James Baldwin, I don't know if a lot of people know, James Baldwin, one of his last stops, he taught in the area. He taught mm. at Hampshire College and given the five college consortium where students, if you go to any of those five schools, you can take classes at any of those campuses. So many people at the time when James Baldwin was living in the area, they had a chance to work with him. So his family created this memorial fund in his name. And so any student whose plays are entered into the Word Festival and staged with the Word Festival, then come away with that award. So I was one of the recipients from 2009. So they choose like five to seven plays. And then the five to seven people that are selected during that year would get that award. So I'm one of the recipients of that award from that year. Now, with that being said, with the name uh, attached, the James Baldwin name, legacy of James Baldwin, yes. and associated with that, how dope was that? It's amazing. So James Baldwin is actually one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite essayists, one of my favorite playwrights one of my favorite poets and one of my favorite intellectuals. I actually call James Baldwin's work my Bible because there's so much that he wrote about regarding challenging mainstream identities, challenging racism, challenging how we see the world. Like there's, I could talk all day about James Baldwin, but what's crazy about his work is he passed away in the 80s, but a lot of his writing with regards to race relations is very relevant today. Mm -hmm. I would say if anyone could read The Fire of This Time, you'll be like, oh, wow, this reads as if it were written today. Mm. But it was written multiple decades ago. So to have an award with his name means a lot because I look up to his writings and a lot about his philosophies. And I do hope that is also the other thing too with the word festival I forgot to stress is the plays have to revolve around the things that he was writing about. So challenging like constructs of race and constructs of identity. And I hope that my play that made it does that. And then I hope that my work continues to do that throughout my career. 
Absolutely. Well, definitely keep us posted on everything. And, you know, we're here to support you in all initiatives that you're doing. Now, something is also very interesting about your background is the fact that you work in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. So if you can briefly tell us about this work and how you ventured into that sector. Yes. So being that I was always interested in arts administration, that always kept my foot in the door with regards to nonprofit work because many of the arts organizations in this country are based in nonprofits. So the job that I took at New World Theater, fortunately, it was at a university. So the 10 years that I spent at UMass, I had a chance to work in the higher ed realm, which from what I'm learning is so different from nonprofits. The United Way is only the second nonprofit that I worked for in my entire career. So how I got into specifically nonprofit work I was drained, was working at UMass from the hours to the very bad pay, to the union structure, to the disparities, because that's a whole other conversation, the disparities that higher ed creates for students like us. I was Mm -hmm. tired. I was like, I can't, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Plus also, I've always had a vested interest in doing something that worked with the community and that did grant making. So this job came open at the United Way. And I remember, you know, I was like, oh, the United Way, they usually work with a lot of economic disparities. So like financial stability, health, education, youth development, basic needs and all this stuff. And I'm like, I have no experience in that, but you know, I really want to try this. And people were like, well, just apply for the job and see what will happen. And I ended up getting the job and they did say to me, they were like, you have a lot of transferable skills mm. that will work here. And so I've been the manager of community investments now for the United Way of Pioneer Valley since May of 2018. Mm. And in that job, the things that I learned like regarding human services, food pantries, stuff with hunger, also stuff with policies that impact people. So like the stuff that I've learned about SNAP, which is the former food stamps, to housing discrimination, to educational discrimination, all of those things that impact people like us has been very eye-opening. So with me and my mentoring, which I do as a volunteer, I'm trying to push and encourage people of color and people of marginalized identities to join boards of directors of nonprofit organizations when you can. Because the people, so like the executive director on down, those are the people that do the work, but the people that dictate what the work should look like in the nonprofit are the boards of directors. And many boards of directors are super white. They're super white and super wealthy because of the power that they have in the community. But I'm like, with working with nonprofits, there's that weird disjointedness of you have white people telling, and I hope I'm not fired for this, but you have a white board of directors telling an organization that works with communities of color what they should be doing. And I'm just like, what? No, that's not how this should work. And then also understanding like how our work can influence policy. So we are a 501c3 nonpartisan organization. But given the work that we do in the community, I've had a chance to meet legislators and things like that and like push organizations to write to legislators in terms of like, for example, there was a bill introduced recently to the Massachusetts House pushing for specific funding for community colleges to fund their food pantries. Yes, 
there is a huge hunger need on college campuses. That's a whole, I could talk about that to the cows come home because that's an initiative that I'm working on through the United Way. And then also with nonprofit work is with us, with the United Way, we do 100% of our fundraising as opposed to working in higher ed and you work for a public institution, the state funds some of you, tuition funds some and fundraising. Whereas working for a nonprofit, you do all of the fundraising to keep your organization afloat. So this year and a half of working at the United Way has been an important crash course because even though I went to grad school and learned about nonprofit management, you really don't see how it works until you're out in the field. You know, lots to unpack there. And I know way back oh, in yeah. the day, I, <laughs> way <laughs> back in the day, I wanted to work for a nonprofit. I mean, I did on a AmeriCorps VISTA uh, level, oh, wow. but, but I wanted to do it professionally. Who knows? Maybe I'll go back to it. But again, lots to unpack there. But I, I like that you acknowledge the work that goes into it, but not only that, how you're able to see the fruits of your labor and seeing the direct impact that your work is putting in and it's how it's beneficial to communities and nonprofits are very important in our society, yes. especially those that support people from underrepresented communities. So I appreciate that response and you recalling some of that. Now I do want to backtrack, take it back to the D for a second. Yes. And <laughs> I'm very curious to know you being on the East Coast for the last 12 or so years. How have you been able to remain connected to the D, just given where you are? That's a great question. So my extended family is still in Michigan, so I've had a chance to travel back. The thing that kept me connected, which unfortunately is no longer, are my parents. So my parents, who both recently passed suddenly, um, they lived in they lived in Detroit. So I traveled back to Detroit at least two to three times a year while they were still alive. My dad, who most recently passed, he passed December around Christmas of 2017. I haven't been back to Michigan since about it's been a year, and this is the longest I've been away from Michigan. So I went back, of course, after he passed away. I went back a couple of times to settle things with the house and things like that. But also I have a sibling who, um, he's much younger, 25 years younger, who was still in college. He's a grad at the University of Detroit Mercy. And so the last time, the last couple of times I went home was to his graduation in May of last year and then to move him here um, August of last year. I have a trip back planned sometime this coming summer. This will be the first time I would have been away from Michigan for this long. So the thing that has kept me tied to Detroit is my family. I've had like a play produced back in Detroit, but that's a little different. But literally the connection that I had to Detroit was my family. And so now it's going to be my extended family keeping me there and maybe traveling back not as frequently as I used to. Well, condolences. I know that was a while ago, Thank but you. still condolences to you. And I know seeing you on social media uh, talking about your brother, that's always encouraging to see. And, you know, knowing he has a big sister to support him, that's, that's dope. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Now, another question I want to ask you and taking it back to Detroit. Everybody who comes on this podcast gets asked the following question. If they had to identify a song and their opinion that best represents Detroit, what would that song be? So, Nicole, I posed that question to you. Yeah. Give us your song. So, because I listened to your podcast, 
I was prepared for this question and it took me the longest time to find the right song because there's so much to be said about our loving city. But the song that comes to mind when I think of Detroit is jazz artist, and she's one of my favorite musicians, Esperanza Spalding's Black Gold. Mm. That song, I think, really sums up what it is to be of Detroit and what it is to grow up in Detroit. I'm actually pulling up because I wanted to give some of the lyrics to people because they may not be familiar with her work. So one of the stanzas, hold your head as high as you can, high enough to see who you are, little man. Life sometimes is cold and cruel. Baby, no one else will tell you. So remember that you are black gold, black gold. So one of the things that has happened since I've moved out of Detroit is whenever I tell, whenever I tell people that I'm from Detroit, one of the first things they ask is, oh my God, are you okay? You grew up in a crime written, blah, 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 because of all the things that national media has said. And I have to correct them a lot. I'm like, yes, there's crime, but there's crime everywhere. I live in rural Western Massachusetts. And in the past like two days, there have been three shootings that ended up in someone dying. I'm like, you can't avoid crime at all. You just can't, period. But Detroit has been one of those places where people always want to frame us in the negative all the time. And I'm like, yes, we, we have our stripes, but guess what? We have a lot of people in Detroit and from Detroit across the globe who work extremely, extremely hard. And we need, and what I like about this song in reference to Detroit, we need that reminder that we are of strong people and we are people who work really hard to give back to our communities and just keep your heads up. No matter what people say about us, we, we are the ones who need to keep our heads up high, our self-esteem high and things like that because we need to know our, our own words. Wow, that's dope. I'm, I'm a little familiar with the artist just given the uh, protege of uh, her being a protege of Prince. And yep. I know a few of her songs. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you a Prince question because we'll be on here for forever and a day. Yes. But, <laughs> but um, no, that's dope. I'm going to have to check that song out. And that's, that's a unique twist on that. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm going to definitely be looking that song up. Now, speaking of which, you're doing a lot of stuff. You mentioned that you've had a play in Detroit, but you also are a writer. You are an artist. The question I have for you, what are you currently working on? How can we best support you as a community? I'm doing a lot right now. So one of the big things that is happening for me right now. So earlier this year, I released a self-produced spoken word album that was recorded live last year in Massachusetts. And what I'm doing with that album is proceeds from the album are being funneled into, well, it all, it's about to start in January because we just offered the fellowship for the first year to create a fellowship program to support an emerging writer of color who identifies either as a woman of color or somebody that is gender non-binary. And the reason why I wanted to create that program is because not only for myself, but many other writers who have been told that we are extremely talented and we need to get our work out there. 
we enter competitions, we send our stuff off to get published and people keep slamming doors in our face. And I keep being told, well, you need to go and get your master of finance and creative writing, which costs thousands of dollars. And I'm like, I, and there's like a certain, you know, culture and things like that that comes with this particular writing. And I'm like, I don't want to have to do all of that. And I feel like others should not have to do that as well. So for me, that's been like the thing that I have been pushing the most. People can, if they wanted an actual physical CD, they can contact me directly on my website or they can find um, the CD, which is called Input Live from the Valley. They can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Music Unlimited, and CD Baby. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That was actually going to be the next question I have for you. You are in the social media space. Where can people find you? You also mentioned where people can find the album, but where can you be contacted or located in the social media world? Yeah, so everything you can find via my website. It's just my name, Nicole M. M as in Marie Young.com. So Nicole M. Young.com. And there, there's links to my Instagram page, links to my Facebook page, um, and also links to get access to the album. And I'm very, I am very active on social media. That you are. You're very active on social media. You're on multiple platforms. So we'll definitely be putting those in the show notes. And you have your official website, which we'll make sure to put out there as well. So last question. And Nicole, it's been such a fantastic time. Such an honor to have you on Thank here. You. you are great. <laughs> yeah, you are a vessel of Detroit history. You may not realize it, but just everything that you shared has been a, a vessel of history. So I thank you for being on here. So last question I have have for you and that question is what does Detroit mean to you oh wow Detroit is a blessing I wouldn't be the person who I am today if I were not born and raised in Detroit even though I haven't lived in Detroit for 12 years what up though is (laughs) is like every time I because I even hear it here sometimes it's like it's that reassurance that I am who I am like I you know I still like I'm getting chills right now of thinking when I travel because I usually take the train and the bus back to Detroit because of money and every time I'm on the lodge going you know on the bus and you see the outline of the Renaissance Center I cry every time every time and I've been doing this trip now for 12 years because Detroit Detroit means so much to me Detroit Detroit is who I am and Detroit will always be who I am Wow, that response was so beautiful. I don't think I could have articulated it any better. (laughs) You're you're making me think about so many things, so many memories there. But Nicole, this has been fun. I have had a great time. Thank you on a personal level for supporting the podcast since its inception. When I put it out on social media, you are one of the first people to share it. You always talk about the episodes or at least comment on them. So I'm appreciative of that because as a content creator and just a person that loves Detroit and I haven't been away from home as long as you have, I love the city. I love the beauty, the genius that comes out of the city and the fact that you are sharing this because this is a space where we're being vulnerable here. It means a lot to me. So thank you so much for that on a personal level. And Marquise, thank you so much for creating this platform because, again, like one of the things that people don't realize are the gems that come out of Detroit. And this is why I'm glad that it's called Detroit Worldwide because 
it literally reminds us of the beauty that comes out of our hometown. And so I thank you for creating this platform for us to be able to embrace how beautiful our city is. For sure, that's what it's all about is the platform is shared. It's not just mine, it's for everybody to get on here and talk about their experience and their upbringing. So thank you again. All right, Nicole, well, this has been fun. So on behalf of Nicole M. Young, I am Marquise D. Taylor. <laughs> this <Yes>! is... <laughs> <laughs> this Better is... get in that government name. <laughs> <laughs> this is Detroit Worldwide. We will holler at y'all on the other side. Peace. <laughs>